absolutely ridiculous. Yeah, obviously, first of all, uh, as everybody's been saying all week, uh, we're super excited to be back uh, competing again. You know, squash is our life and uh, this is the thing we love to do the most. So to be able to uh, experience it once again after six months of stoppage is, is, a, is a great feeling. Uh, I think I started off uh, a little slow in my first match and Ethan Lake got into it a little better and then uh, from that point on, in the latter stages of the first game, I think I took control of the match and found my rhythm. Still, the intensity wasn't as high as I would have liked, but uh, I wanted to take that to the second match against Gregor Marsh, which I think I did brilliantly well um, in the first game. Uh, the, uh, the ball was a bit quick and I think I adapted to it better than Greg and uh, I found my targets. and. Uh, I ran away with the first and then, you know, I don't think I got complacent, but I just, uh, you know, sometimes when you play uh, well and just you lose the momentum, it's hard to regain it again. And uh, I think that's what happened in the second, you know, Gregoire came uh, uh, firing and uh, I opened up the court a little too much. And I think uh, I think that suits his game plan better than mine. So should I stick to, to mine? But. Uh, at the end of the second, I, I, I think I got into the groove again and I had my, uh, uh, I, I was able to execute my game plan better than his, but it was a little too late. So I was hoping to carry on with that momentum to the third, but then somehow I couldn't. Uh, I didn't do much wrong and he was already three love up. And then you just got to understand the, uh, the phases, different phases of the match and what you need to do at what time. And uh, I think at this point, I realized then, okay, today I might not be able to win it with pure scores, so just uh, grind it out. And thanks to my fitness uh, coach, I was, I had, I did have faith in my, uh, in in my fitness that it can it can get me through, you know. So I just uh, decided to just keep it uh, uh, primarily to the back uh, corners and uh, just uh, hopefully tire him out, either physically or mentally or both. And it paid off somehow at seven all in this third. Gave me, I think, uh, until I wanted 11 8, I think three or maybe even four errors. Uh, and then the fourth, I thought he, I was going to be up physically and psychologically and he would be a little down, but he surprised me, to be honest. Went up 10 7. And then again, same as the second, I said, uh, let's just uh, stick in there and, uh, and gain some momentum for the fifth if we, if we were to go to a fifth. And then uh, I luckily won it and obviously I was very relieved to win it in four instead of going to a fifth that can go pretty much either way. So yeah, uh, good tournament overall. Uh, this type of second round match is very important to get you sharper for uh, the quarter final as long as you go through it. And thankfully I did and uh, looking forward to my match today against Marwan Shubagi. So should be an exciting one. Hello everyone, welcome to Around the Course Squash podcast. That was Ali Farag after his match with Gregoire Marsh of France. Speaking there. My name is Arthur Gaskin. With me as ever is Christopher Sackley and Stuart Crawford. Fellas, how are we doing? What a day of squish. Yeah, great day. I think we were all quite excited about the quarterfinals and for the most part, they lived up to expectations. A nice little Sunday. Woke up, got the latte going. First thing I did, turned on the computer, threw the, uh, threw the HDMI on the big screen and just let, let them all roll throughout the day. Lovely day of squash. Just a lovely day. <laughs> it's actually not that nice here for the first time in months. Um, but <laughs> you boys can well, take your temporary 
weather victory because I'm sure Italy will get one back soon. Yeah. yeah no <laughs> like no tomorrow. Doubt. No doubt. <laughs> uh, so let's start off with Ali. Uh, Ali and Marwan El Shibagi. What do we think, fellas? I mean, great win for Marwan. I did call it. I'm just throwing it out there. But quite a quite a feisty one. Yeah, very much so. Um, right from the start as well. I mean, certainly didn't ease into it. I think within the first five rallies, there was three or four decisions and reviews. And straight away, you could see that this is this is going to be long and it's not going to be particularly um, one-sided or, well, it ended up being quite contentious for a variety of reasons, which we'll get into in a second. But uh, for the most part, it was really engaging without ever being brilliant squash, I would say. Yeah, I thought, uh, I, I, you know, I thought it was an awesome match in terms of as a, as a fan. And, you know, like being a dumb fan, it's like kind of fun to just watch two guys who clearly don't really like each other in, in any sport, right? Like they have that intense rivalry where you can tell just by watching them hit the ball that they're – they're not enjoying uh, playing one another. And, and, but it also like raised the level because they really don't want to lose to one, one another. Like just doesn't seem like there's, you know, a ton of respect there, um, which is kind of fun to watch. Uh, you know, good, good to see the other side too, where two guys who completely respect each other, give each other a ton of space, very clean squash. But then this is the opposite end of the spectrum. Everything in the middle is kind of boring, right? Yeah. Did you, so you don't think they'll send each other a uh, Christmas card or birthday greeting? <laughs> I don't think they would have been doing that before today, and they certainly won't be doing it after today. Yeah. Oh, I love it. <laughs> I was I actually. Love that yeah, I do too. I was actually trying to figure out where it came from because there all there was some tension in the match, but you could see right from the start that it was there. There was a bit of needle right from the beginning, like I said. Uh, I'd love to know the backstory. Um, I'd love to know whether they've had previous matches that have maybe caused some of this or maybe from going back to junior days. I know they're not too dissimilar in age. Um, so, yeah, I don't know where it comes from, but it was pretty obvious right from the start. Cairo versus Alexandria, baby. Hey, there you go. <laughs> they, they had a big game in Manchester. Oh, was it Manchester at the World Open in 20... The year that Marwan made the final, he beat... Ali Frag in the semis. Is that correct? Yeah, they mentioned that in commentary. It's 2017. 2017. Jeez, that feels like a lifetime ago. Um, but I remember that game being kind of feisty as well. I love how I, I actually love their matches. I love how they play against each other. I love the little bit of needle, which gives it a little bit of extra spice. I mean, I'm, I really, really enjoy obviously watching both of them play. They're both unbelievable players, but I, I'm a I really love watching Marwan play. I think he's as clever as a bag of cats. He's uh, yeah, he's switched on super sharp. <laughs> yeah, no, he's good. Definitely, you know, hard hard to uh, argue that he's an awesome player, and and you know, tactically is great. And um, but he just like he looks dirty. He's like one of those guys in sports who gets a little bit of a reputation. Um, Draymond Green of the Golden State Warriors had a couple instances where his leg came up a little high and he kept kicking guys between the legs. Um, and he said it was an accident, but 
but he's also the same guy who kind of has those hard fouls all the time. And Marwan just kind of has that look. He like, if, if Farag gives him a little bit of a nudge with the hip back, it just looks a little bit cleaner and a little bit more gentle. Whereas Marwan just, he kind of jump, he cuts into the line really hard, looks a little bit more aggressive and he just like has that dirty, dirtier, uh, style to me. Um, and maybe it's just, you know, I've got that, he, he's done it a few times. So I have that reputation in my head, but, um, yeah, I don't think he's as pretty to watch as Ali. Yeah, but it's certainly effective for him because it definitely gets in Ali's head more than Marwan's head. You can see that Marwan is quite comfortable to be to have the match go physical. And uh, I know in his post-match interview, he said that he didn't feel like he played his best squash and he didn't enjoy the match. But I'd, I certainly felt throughout the match that that style of squash was suiting him more. Ali likes it to be a lot more clean and free-flowing than Marwan. Marwan's a lot more adept at adjusting to that and just getting on with it. Um, a couple of other things I would say is that um, Marwan plays the victim brilliantly. So <laughs> even though it looks like he's doing most of it, he makes a really good point to the ref anytime there's even a hint of his opponent doing something similar. So I think he gets the ref partly on side and it looks like, oh, well, they're both doing it just as badly. But I think if you understand the game, you know that that's not the case. Um, and I also find that ironic that he was complaining about the ref. And apparently they had asked for a stronger ref before the match, which is interesting. Because um, I certainly felt the ref played a big part in that match in terms of setting the tone for the match early. I mean, within the first five points, like I say, they were already reviewing and questioning. And it just didn't seem like he had full control of, of the match. He didn't sit, sit out his stall and he just let them sort of get dragged into that style of play. Yeah, but I also think, do you not think with a stronger ref in there that maybe that might not have happened? And because they knew, and because maybe Marwan knew that the referee was not strong enough to make certain decisions at certain times, that he wanted to get his foothold in the game. And certainly, I wouldn't say necessarily get the ref on his side, but certainly have the ref view the game a certain way. Because if, you, if you're uncertain of someone's decision-making, you would want to be able to put a narrative in front that this is the way that it is. Yeah, I, think, I agree. I think, yeah, I think he did that brilliantly, like Stuart was saying. I think, uh, and that's, that's the problem. It all comes down to quality of referees because these players know the game way better. They know the little intricacies of how to make it look a certain way, and they know exactly what situations they can take advantage of a weaker ref. And that's exactly what Ali said at the end of the match. He, he, he walked off, and I think I heard him just say, like, I don't know if he was speaking to the ref or someone else in the crowd, but he said, this, this person's too weak to be refing this match. And uh, but the crowd was only the referee. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, <laughs> maybe one or two others around. <laughs> um, he needs to have a word with a PSA president. Oh, wait, that's him. <laughs> oh shoot! I I would say if they had a stronger referee in a game like a Roy Gingel or a John Mazzarella, I would say that would have happened far less. And certainly at the start of the game, there wouldn't have been the same traffic issues. That, I mean, that's my personal take. I think they would have both known going into that match exactly where they stood, uh, as opposed to trying to gain a little advantage. And to be fair, I I mean I 
if I was in anyone's shoes, I, I'd be like, yeah, I mean, if I can gain an advantage here because the referee is weak, or if I want to portray a certain narrative uh, or make them understand that certain things happen that they may not understand, then I, I would definitely take advantage of that. Yeah, but I do think that Marwan is a lot better at taking advantage of that than Ali. Ali, you could see, was I haven't actually seen him that frustrated and just losing his composure. He's usually very calm and relaxed. And like I say, you, you could just tell something's getting at him, whether it's long-standing rivalry or some personal stuff between the two of them or just the match itself. But yeah. to me, the way the match played out suited Marwan a lot more than it suited Ali. And Marwan also took advantage of it a lot better. Yeah, it proved to be so. Coming out, what was it, 11-8 in the fifth? 89 minutes? Yeah, right on. <laughs> no mission, no mission. No, I was just going to say, uh, all four, all four women's, women's top seeds keep rolling. We got uh, Serm and Tayeb through, uh, along with uh, Hania and Sarah Jane Perry. So what, what do you guys think of uh, which matches of those did you catch? The Serm match was on a little bit before my wake-up time. It was even before Nola's wake-up time, let me tell <laughs> <Yeah>. you. <laughs> Fortunately, it was on at 11 o'clock over here, so I was just up. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I had to set an alarm, but I made it. Um, that was the best match of the day for me, um, Sarah and uh, Joel. Two fairly similar players. There wasn't really a lot to separate them. Um, certainly in the first two games, pretty even. Uh, Camille got good starts, but then in the second game, Joel managed to come back. I think she was um, she was down early and then came back in the middle and then just held on. Uh, and then Camille started to run away with it after that. Like I say, similar games, uh, really high quality match, fair. Could see there was clearly a mutual respect there, but the biggest difference for me was Camille's ability to just scrap Campbell balls back and um, Joelle was just a little bit less consistent in her attacking ability when she took the ball in short. She had some great winners, but she was also a bit more prone to errors than Camille. Um, but like I say, Camille just seems to get balls back, whereas when Camille attacked well, it was generally always a winner, especially if she'd got uh, Joelle out of position in the previous shot. I'd say that's the biggest thing I've... Um... My biggest takeaway so far from watching a lot of these matches is there's obviously a lot of layers to this and you got to set the point up well and, and, and do all the right stuff. But the person who can put the ball away on that court is coming out on top a lot of times because the ball is moving so quickly off the front wall. Uh, there was a few instances there in the very end of the Frog uh, Marwan match where, you know, Ali's ball to the front uh, jumped off the front wall a little bit deep. Marwan kind of jumped right into his back, got a fairly cheap stroke. And the difference was, I think, you know, Marwan slid a few of those types of balls into the nick. Um, his backhand drop was pretty, you know, pretty remarkable. And Ali was more, even the rallies he was dominating, he was kind of moving the ball around, always putting it in the right spot. But it was, he just couldn't quite finish a ton of rallies until, like you were saying a little before, Stuart, um, he actually did just start to kind of go for a few and slot him in and, and he did make some winners there, but his normal attritional, you know, playing shots and combos just weren't, wasn't really ending a ton of rallies. I do 
think as well, like if for in jo from Joelle's perspective, like if she feels that Camille is scrambling a little bit better than her, like that puts a certain amount of pressure when you're going short and pressuring and pressuring and pressuring, you know, you, you are going to bring the tin into play. And it sounds like I didn't see the match, but it sounds like that, that was certainly a, a little bit of a, a difference between the two. Yeah, certainly in the third and fourth, as Camille started to get in front and take a bit more control, that was that was one of the biggest differences. Um, and just to your point, Chris, about being able to put the ball away and I think also play at a fast pace. I mean, Hanya Elhamami was incredible on that. She was just uh, ruthless. She won three, five and three in 23 minutes. So really hasn't been tested yet this week and she'll play Camille next tomorrow in the semis. So uh, if, I had to, if I had to pick a winner there, I'd probably go with, um, with Hanya. She was, yeah, it's frightening how good she is. The water breaks were almost a third of the match. <laughs> the time between games was almost 30% of the match time. Oh, yeah, man. Crazy. So, so good. So, so ruthless. Yeah. It seems like six months off hasn't really stopped, stopped her from picking up where she left off. Um, and Camille's obviously came through. She's had a really tough job playing. She beat Sabrina Sobe in the first round in four. Then she beat Nelly Gillis in four. And then again against Joelle in four. So she dropped the game every round. But I just, the way <clears throat> Anya's playing and knowing that she had beaten her the previous time they played back at Black Ball Open, I think my money would be on her. Do you think, is there any case for argument that perhaps that if it gets a little bit tight and a little bit close that Camille but she might be a little bit more battle hardened and a little bit more acclimatized to dealing with high pressure situations like if it's a nine all or if it's one all then because Hanya's kind of had pretty much everything her own way up until this point. Yeah I would agree with that if she hadn't come come up against a top player today. I think certainly in the early rounds if you're beating girls that are ranked sort of 30, 40 in the world and you're beating them comfortably then probably doesn't suggest that you're ready to go at that level. But to beat someone like Sami Hani, who's just outside the top 10 in the world, that convincingly suggests that she's just playing well. I don't think it's an issue of being battle-hardened. I think she's just on fire and ready to go. Then another, the other women's match this is more around when I was waking up here. Um, the uh, Noor Altaev versus around the court favorite Amanda Sobe. Um Nor just looks sharp, and once again, like she can put the ball in from everywhere on the court. Um, she she does a good job too. I find like she waits until she has a bit of a cushion to take a little bit of risk, and I think her confidence is high because she has the cushion. She's got the shot in her bag anyway. Um, yeah, so was impressed with the way she played. Amanda definitely had a shot at her to to extend the extend the match there at the end, but um. 12-10 in the third uh, to, to close out for Noor. What do you guys think of that one? I would have loved to have seen a fourth. I thought the rally at 10-9 in particular where Amanda had was had the front foot at the beginning of the rally. <clears throat> excuse me. Um, and, yeah, I mean, it was an amazing rally, really, actually. It had, every, it had a little bit of everything, let me tell you. <laughs> but it, it, would have, it would have been nice just to see how both players would have played in the fourth. And to see the game extended as the dynamics can kind of change after that third game 
a little bit of momentum in Amanda's favour. You know, she's coming back at Tayeb. How does Tayeb deal with the pressure of a player coming back at her for the first time? Um, but Tayeb was pretty impressive to close that out in three, to be fair. Credit where it's due. Yeah, it's interesting you say you wanted to see a fourth. Actually, um, Noor actually said in her post-match interview that the last couple of times she's played her, she's been two love up and then ended up losing the next two and going to five. I think she won one of them and lost one of them. Um, so it's obvious that that's happened in the past and it could have not just gone to four, but gone to five if she if Amanda had been able to sneak that game. I will say that um, I did feel that Noor looked a little bit fresher. Um after that, really, I mean, Amanda did a lot of work in that third game and towards the end of it, she did look tired, but she's also a really smart player that knows how to to sort of pick her moments to attack. Um, but just what you're saying, Chris, about Tayeb just getting on a run, she just, every single game, she seems to win three, four, five points in a row out of nowhere. And that's kind of the difference between the two of them in the match. Like, if you take out that little run, that maybe only lasts sort of... 60 to 90 seconds, but in that 60 or 90 seconds, she's picked up up to five points. Um, and then you look at the end of the game and it's like, well, she won the game by 11-8 or 11-7, and that was the only thing that really separated them. Um, but she's definitely a confidence player that when she hits one or two good shots, she just lets loose and usually gets on a roll. Speaking of post-match interviews, I don't know if you saw the Paul Cole interview after his match with Tarek Momin. And the, the, your man asks, you know, well, you know, you, I saw you doing a few uh, little things there to getting yourself mentally prepared. What were you doing? And he goes through, oh yeah, you know, doing some breathing techniques. And it's like, and and we, we, you know, that my coach put me through my mental coach. And and what does your mental coach tell you? He says, well, he wants me to play squash like I play Monopoly, really intense, but with a smile on my face. <laughs> I tell you what, <laughs> there is no way I want to play. Monopoly with Paul Cole. <laughs> silent assassin. Oh, silent, silent until he wins. And then it's like, I, lo- I, I do love it. Like how he kind of, he's so cool and composed, like throughout the whole game, regardless of what's going on. And I know that's something he's certainly worked on. Sorry, so, sorry. From the outside looking in, it looks like it's something he's worked on. And then he just releases all that emotion post-match, post-game or post a big rally. And it's, it's, Great to watch, but uh, imagine that in a monopoly sense. You just, you know, just, you're just you're having a crack, rolling the dice. Go ahead. <laughs> does really intense in monopoly mean you're you're uh, stealing stealing a little bit of cash from the banker and just uh, smiling as you do it? <laughs> that was always. No, I my think mouth. it's like I think it's like you're on my property, yalla. <laughs> Give me your money. <laughs> and if you haven't got it, you're out. <laughs> and then it's a fist pump to the sky. You can definitely see a change to his approach on court. I remember when he started getting really big wins, um, he was always prone to being quite frustrated and down on himself when he didn't play well. He's obviously got high expectations and high standards, but I certainly remember matches where he probably wasn't playing his best and he would start to almost almost have like a little mini tantrum about it. And you can see that he's now a lot calmer and more composed and just sort of deals with the situation as it is. Um, today was a great example. I don't think he played his best squash today. I don't think Tarek was at his best either, but he didn't allow that to ever get in the way of him winning. He just got on with it, did the best he could, 
stuck to his game plan. I mean, the other thing I really like about his game is that you, got, you can always see that he's got a really clear game plan in place. Um, yeah. And you can, you can see what he's trying to do on the court, whether he does it or not is not always the case. But um, I just think that he's a really good thinker about what his strengths are, what his opponent's weaknesses are, how to exploit that. And you can see that he goes on court with a, a plan. Yeah, his, his skill level, his control on that left wall in particular, like how many times he just like lifted himself, lifted the ball straight in that front left corner was just really impressive and then just completely neutralised uh, some of Tarek's uh, attacks into that corner and just reset the rally and started again. That must be so frustrating to play against, especially with some of the type of balls that Tarek was playing in there. Yes, zero. Zero interest in playing someone who can just get everything back. <laughs> so wait, Chris, just to confirm, you don't want to play anyone that can take the ball short or get the ball back or hit good length. Or We're going to have a long list by the time, yeah, by the time we're at episode 30. Sounds like the only people you do like to play are lefties. Just hack it to their, <laughs> hack it to their backhand. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, slow le- slow lefties that uh yeah with weak backhands. I got I got their number. <laughs> <laughs> so did, I I didn't get to catch any of this, but um around the court, one of our one of our favorites this week, Tesney Evans, uh had someone said she might have a little bit of an an injury. Um how did, how did that look? Yeah, she got a little bit of treatment between the second and third game. Um, she was obviously already two love down at that point, and um, Sarah Jane Perry ended up winning the third, which was actually the most competitive game. Tesney came back and gave it a real good fight. Um, but Sarah Jane was moving a lot better than she did in her previous match against Holly Norton, which uh, actually could have been an upset. Holly had a real chance. Um, I think if she looks back on that, she'll feel like she missed a golden opportunity there because Sarah Jane was a little bit slow to the front, didn't seem to be finding her uh, targets, wasn't playing with the same sort of freedom and confidence. But then today she she looked a lot sharper and a lot, lot more accurate and Tesney sort of struggled a little bit. Um, but yeah, bad day for the podcast, losing Amanda and Tesney. And also now that we had Ali on board, he's also lost, so... Not looking good. A lot more of listening to us. <laughs> <laughs> so, but the only only two matches I think we haven't touched on are uh, Muhammad El Shabagi and Kareem Abdel Gawad. So Shabagi over Macon, I thought was I thought it was really great, uh, good stuff watching them. Um, Shabagi's looking lean. He looks fit. He's just got tough. a great beard. Red beard, yeah. He's got the playoff beard going. No mention. No, you ginger look good. Beard, though, Arthur. No, no, no. Jeez. Um, could you imagine Shabaki with a ginger beard like mine? Jeez. <laughs> That'd be well, sick. I'm not quite sure that would look good. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Only one way to find out, I guess. Shabaki was, was brilliant. It was interesting. I didn't think Joel played that badly in the first two games. And I always got the feeling that if Joel could put a bit more scoreboard pressure on Shabaki in one of the games, he could trouble him. Not, not, not. Sorry, not trouble him. Wrong word. But he would definitely ask a few more questions, and he did that in the third. 
played some great winners from 7-8 down to get to game ball at 10-7 and close it out. Oh, how good but was that? Chicago, how good was that run? Oh, forehand, cross court, forehand, Nick forehand cross court. Yeah, forehand cross court, Nick. Backhand cross court, Nick. And then straight, and, and then a slid in a top. nice, yeah, slid in a nice straight, Nick, to finish him off there. Lovely. 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 Yeah, I didn't see Shibagi against Macon, but uh, I think I was the only one of the three of us that watched the Gawad Rosner match at the end, and Gawad really impressed me. I mean, of of all the matches I saw today. Uh, he'd be my pick for the title based on current form. I know it can change quickly. Um, how do you usually Sorry, Stuart, to interrupt you there. I think if you listen to episode 17 in our <laughs> pre-Manchester event, I, th- I think maybe one of us might have said that. <laughs> wasn't, that were, be- wasn't that before you, you changed that prediction to Marwan? Yeah. No, no, no. I said Marwan and Gawad were going to make the final of the bottom half of the draw. <laughs> <laughs> That's right. I remember that. Yeah, and yeah, that that's been proven to be right. Um, but yeah, Gawad was once he got going in that second game, he was almost unplayable. Um, just so relaxed, like doesn't he actually made a joke about it at the end of the match that he's getting a bit older and he maybe needs to improve his starts. Um, <laughs> yeah. yeah, I heard that. Around <laughs> anymore is now that he's getting on, but he just seems so unfazed by it all. I mean, he always does. And I know they talk about him needing to work on his warm-up. Um, I don't think it is. I mean, I'm sure he does warm-up. To me, it's he just needs a little bit of pressure or adrenaline, and that only comes when he gets himself in a situation where it's like, damn, I can't afford to let this go any further. I mean, Rosner chopped him in the first, and then that seems to fire him up, and then he comes out and he's playing something the sort of squash that we know he can uh, so I think it's more um, just getting that fire going you see it when he when he plays really big finals like the, the tournaments he won in Egypt he doesn't start slowly there because he knows right at the start of the match he needs to be on his game when he plays Shibagi he's beaten Shibagi three love a couple of times um, and he never ever has a s- slow start against someone like that because he knows he can't afford to and I think it's that it's that pressure and occasion just takes a little while to kick in for him. Do you think there's an element of when he's playing some of, like, not a Shabagi, where he's like, do it, this level's not good enough, I need to turn it up a bit. Whereas he knows when he plays Shabagi and the likes of that, that he has to turn it up from the very first point. I don't think he thinks about it that way. I, I mean, I think, I don't think it's that level of arrogance that I'm playing Sh- Rosner and I can just turn it on when I want to. I just, I just think that his personality is quite chilled and, he sort of needs a lot of stimulation to raise his uh, arousal levels, as they would say in sports psychology. Um, and because he's got away with it so so often throughout his career, he doesn't panic. It doesn't like, it's not a priority. Well, I think he maybe is trying to improve it, but it's not a high priority because he knows that it's not as costly as it should be. Um, whereas I think he senses in those bigger matches, the finals that he maybe plays, that he really needs to be on it. He can't give someone like Shabagi a sniff. I mean, he's won five setters against Shabagi as well, but he, he rarely starts slowly and just works his way into a match like that. So, who are we thinking, guys, for the uh, for tomorrow's rounds? Who are we think are going to make the final? I like how we get to change our predictions every day. This is great. Um, 
I, uh, we're just going with the latest evidence. Unlike the US president, we actually follow the evidence. Ooh. <laughs> <laughs> oh man. What a guy. Mr. Mr. T, huh? Mr. Yeah. DT. Say no more. I'm going to struggle to He's probably listen. I'm going to struggle to back Marwan. Um, you know, maybe maybe he'll turn into like the uh, like the bad guy wrestling character that you grow to love. But um, I'm gonna go with uh, Gawad. <sighs> Colin Shabaggy, I think, is gonna be really long. Um, you know, what do we got? We got a little bit more match time under. Uh, Paul's got a little bit more match time under his belt, quite a bit actually, from the early rounds. Um, tough one there. I'm gonna go with Paul. I'm gonna ride him. He's uh looking looking strong. I'm gonna back that. I'm gonna go Paul Cole Marwan final. I know I called Gawad <laughs> to win the event, but I'm gonna go against it right now. I'm gonna go Gawad. Sorry, Marwan and Paul Cole final. And in the wim in the women's draw, I go Camille Tayeb. Stuart, did you notice how he said Gawad right before he said Marwan, just in case there's a just in case he's wrong, he can just edit that out later. Yeah, this will go out <laughs> after the semis, I reckon. <laughs> he'll just he'll just re he'll just re-release it. <laughs> he'll just change, yeah, re- just change his prediction Anyway, just you're, to confirm your prediction of Marwan <laughs> against Paul, I'm gonna go the exact opposite. I'm gonna go Muhammad and Gawad. In the men's final. I think those two five setters that Paul and Marwan uh, played today are going to be pretty significant. I think none of the players have got that that tournament toughness that comes from playing back to back events regularly and and just yeah. de- developing that resilience um, and sort of match fitness. And I think they're going to pay the price for that tomorrow. Yeah. yeah on the w- women's side, I'm going to go all Egyptian. So I'm, I'm going to say it will be Tayeb against Hamami. Yeah, the only reason I'm sticking with Camille here in the, in the, on the women's side is I just feel that if it does get tight, obviously she has a little bit more experience, but I, th- I don't think that's going to play a huge role. I just think from this tournament so far, she's had more challenges that she's had to overcome. It depends, like your take on it can change, right? So, but I, I'm just going to go with the angle that it's, she's had a couple of tight matches back to back. She's battle hardened, and if it gets tight, then I would put the odds in her favour. So that's my logic. I just I agree with that. I just don't think she's playing her very best at the moment. Whereas Hanya seems like she is. Like I said, so that's my logic. Yeah, yeah I'm going to go with Stuart. Go, go with the fresh legs. Both Nora and Hanya have just been smoking people off the court relatively short matches so gonna ride the fresh legs right on well listen i'm looking forward to uh, reconvening in 24 hours time see where we stand all right guys well look let's let's look forward to that happy days another good one 20 episode 21 thanks everyone for listening and uh we will look forward to reporting back in 24 hours time with our take on the semis and looking forward to the final boom Stuart, chris yeah, yeah. What a day. Be a left.